0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Alright, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. It's been a week since we last broadcast on the HCC pod because honestly there's not been really anything going on with ECU Athletics. It's been very quiet. Of course we've been continuing to roll out content on the Hoist the Colors message board and uh, the Hoist the Colors site with football in-depth looks at the roster, players coming back, recruiting, that sort of stuff. We've also done some basketball stuff here and there. Shortly we're going to start our baseball previews diving into that but We're going to talk athletic director today. We're also going to answer your questions. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast and the publisher of Hoist the Colors. I'm joined this week by Jonathan Wagner, contributor, intern, co-host of Hoist the Colors. Jonathan, welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me back. It's been it's been a fun week. Yeah, it's been an. Ready to talk about it a little bit.
1: It's definitely been an interesting week, and you know the big thing I want to focus on is. John Gilbert, East Carolina's athletic director, is staying at ECU. We'll get into some of the details as we go along. But I believe it was Monday, right, when Tennessee, all the fallout happened from Tennessee. I think their athletic director was – Philip Fulmer basically said he was going to resign. Their head coach was fired. And then the – you know, I kind of threw out there that John Gilbert would be a candidate or would be considered a candidate because of his ties to Tennessee, which ended up being – true and then reports I think started coming out late Monday early Tuesday that he was in the mix and um, it kind of kicked up from there but long story short as we went over the last few days and and as we broke on Thursday morning late Thursday morning John Gilbert uh, was not going to be the athletic director at Tennessee Uh, even though I, I do believe he was in the mix at one point you know I reported via a source that the wording was John Gilbert said he was not involved at that time and will not be involved. Now, whether he was involved is a whole different discussion, but uh, Jonathan, your take on John Gilbert not taking the Tennessee job, it of course goes to Danny White from UCF, but what it means for ECU from a stability standpoint and just overall as an athletic department?
2: I I really think it's big. I think especially given the state financially, non-financially, just in general right now, there's so much uncertainty and with a program like ECU, with the current state it's in, I think having some stability stability up there at the top, very top, especially hearing his name in rumors, knowing that he's still here, I think it's big. I think it's big all around for the teams, coaches, and just for the athletic department as a whole.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time since ECU has had a stable presence at the top of the athletic department. I mean, Jeff Comper was at the top for a number of years, but really... I don't think he was a stable, calming presence. I think John Gilbert fits the definition of a calming presence. You know, he's not going to ruffle any feathers. Uh, he's going to uh, keep uh, keep everybody in line, but do his job at a high level, make some tough decisions. And I think he's done an adequate job at ECU. You know, we can talk about the whole Title IX thing uh, at some point, but, I mean, I think that was just kind of a rare circumstance where they were looking to save the university money and, unfortunately, got caught with the lawsuit directly after that so they didn't have time to kind of fix the title nine issues over time like they originally wanted but we could do a whole podcast on that over the summer either way john gilbert uh in my opinion an important return or important that he remains at ecu because it just seems like things are finally starting to move in the right direction with the big three sports all at once it seems like football under mike houston is, is trending up seems like men's basketball in the third year of Joe Dooley is trending up. Uh, baseball, we know, has been trending uh, at a high level for a long time now under Cliff Godwin, regardless of the AD. Uh, and I think just having Gilbert continue to be the leader of that, the common presence, it kind of keeps the cart moving forward. Uh, and if you were to have to change athletic directors, change administrations, then you start getting new voices in, then you get ADs wanting to bring in their own guy, et cetera. So I think just having that stability – when ECU has really struggled for so long uh, to have that stability, I think is key, uh, especially for the big three sports. I think that has a trickle down effect. Um, and also his administration, you know, when you look at the, the Tennessee situation, it made sense that they would be mentioned. Uh, John, obviously with an extensive tie to Tennessee and Rick Barnes, the men's basketball coach there, Ron Robinson's a Tennessee guy, Caroline Bevelard spent a lot of time at Tennessee. So Three of the four uh, top administrators at ECU had Tennessee ties, so it just made sense. But I think very important for football specifically and men's basketball and baseball that John Gilbert remains in place.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, for the big three sports especially, I think it's big. And you mentioned Ryan Robinson. I think that's a key part to the athletic department. And I think if Gilbert goes, it's probably likely that Ryan Robinson goes with them, which would be – an additional big loss, which I don't really think we can afford right now.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's enough ADs out there with ECU ties that the Pirates would have got a solid candidate. But at the same time, you probably would not have been the most attractive job on the market. I mean, the, the financials at ECU right now are in a terrible position. And quite honestly, they were in a terrible spot when John Gilbert took this job and it's only gotten worse since then. With the COVID 19 situation, unfortunately for the American as a whole, basically every school in this conference and, and every school across America, America is dealing with the ramifications of that. But ECU, which was already hurting, is even hurting more. And so the budget situation would have been a tough sell on the AD market. You know, you probably would have had to settle for someone who knows ECU or really wanted to get back to ECU. So I think having Gilbert uh, return uh, makes a makes everything a whole lot easier. Um, and so we could go on and on about this for a while, but I, I do think the stability of it is important. And uh, one of our questions, I'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and answer this. Uh, Pirate 38 asks, do we know if John Gilbert went to Knoxville for an interview? All right, so here's the deal, at least what I've gathered from multiple sources. Here's the problem. I I've, I've have conflicting sources. Two sources on Tennessee side tell me one thing. One source on ECU side tells me another. Uh, the ECU source told me, let's see, it was Thursday morning when, when we broke the news uh, that Gilbert was, was basically out of the running for the Tennessee AD job. So at that point, uh, I learned from the ECU source that John Gilbert was going to remain as the athletic director at ECU, and he had informed the chancellor on Wednesday evening that he was not in the running, that he would not be in the running, which I think is all technically accurate now from tuesday or monday evening through wednesday evening per tennessee sources john gilbert was at least in the mix somewhat for the tennessee ad job now i do not know if he went to knoxville or did a zoom interview or any of that i don't know the details of that but i had one tennessee source tell me that it looked like on wednesday morning that he was the front runner until the emergence of danny white and then once it became clear that Tennessee was going to get Danny White, then obviously ECU's party, John Gilbert, et cetera, decided to not pursue the position as much uh, for obvious reasons because they don't want to make it seem like they're leaving ECU. So I don't have the exact story, but to me it does kind of remind me of the situation when ECU hired John Gilbert in December of 2018. The two candidates reported were was Jimmy Bass, From UNCW which had previously been ECU as a uh, top administrator not the AD but he wanted to get back to ECU and then John Gilbert who was coming from Southern Miss Jimmy Bass interviewed went through the process the job came down to those two Gilbert got the job the next day or that night Jimmy Bass said I was never in the running Uh, I never interviewed so it reminds me of that situation a lot and I don't blame ECU their administrative party for saying hey we were never in the running We'll probably never know the extent of which John Gilbert was in the mix at Tennessee, but I do believe, although I can't 100% confirm it, I do believe he was at least in the mix and a serious candidate at one point. Just given his ties there, I, I seem, I, I feel like it would be impossible for him not to get some serious consideration and there'd be some contact made. Um, and just based on what I heard from Tennessee people, so again, that's that's kind of what I heard. Um, and it does remind me a lot of the AD search at ECU a couple years earlier. And, again, you can't blame John Gilbert for looking at the Tennessee job if he, if he indeed did. Both of his children go there. Uh, he, he had been there for a while. It would be a pay raise. It would be in the SEC. I mean, let's be honest, Jonathan. If we got the chance to uh, cover Tennessee and they doubled or tripled our salary, I think we would both look, right?
2: I'm there in a heartbeat. No, No doubt about it. I mean, like you said, it's there's no way that he doesn't at least give some really serious consideration if he was a part of that search. So you, you can't blame him if he would have taken that in that position.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a you know, it's a good thing that he it says a lot for ECU too that their AD is getting looked at for that job, much like the UCF AD wasn't. And for Tennessee Danny White is a home run hire at this point, whereas John Gilbert, even though he has ties to the university, is not that home run big name. I mean, Danny White was making over a million dollars at UCF, and now he's making 1.8, and they have to pay an outrageous buyout. But he's had monster success there. So uh, I think it was a no-brainer hire for UCF, and it's it's a situation where ECU fans can be happy and Tennessee fans can be happy based on what happened. All right. Jonathan, let's dive into these questions. We have talked a lot about John Gilbert. Now we've got some other questions that are tough to answer uh, for me, for you, for all of us, but we'll we'll try to dive into them. Uh, Berg Pirate, our good friend. We're just going to skip over Buck Wild 17's question because it's a political <laughs> question uh, involving the new president of the United States, so I'm not going to uh, broach that one on this podcast. Uh, Berg Pirate wants to know, who are we targeting to replace Coach Sims? Uh, first off, before... I'll be honest, I don't really have an answer. I don't know. I don't know who they're targeting. Uh, I tried to speculate on who the defensive line coach would be, or the defensive ends coach. I had no idea it would be Tim Dowst. So I'm not even going to try to speculate on the running backs coach unless I hear something. If I do hear something, I report it in VIP. But until then, I've got very little on the running backs coach. I do know that uh, Mike Houston thinks he can hire a very good running backs coach because of the, the, the running back situation with Rajay. And Keaton Mitchell. Um, but Jonathan, just your thoughts on Coach Sims leaving for Louisville, what that kinda of means and and how attractive you might think this runabout's coaching job can be.
2: Well, I mean, like I said with Gilbert, I think it's it's nice to see that ECU coaches and administration are getting those looks for power five programs. Um, for Sims. I mean, he did a heck of a job with obviously Raja Harris and Keaton Mitchell and He was a big part of getting Joseph McKay in here for next year too. So I think I'm not surprised he's getting those looks. And I also think it's a very attractive job next year because we have all those guys for probably four or five years. So I think Houston's right when he thinks he can get someone real solid and then take Sim's spot.
1: Yeah, and I think you do have to go for somebody who can recruit well. Darrell Sims recruited well. He was a younger coach. A lot of running backs coach fit that mold there you know usually typically younger good recruiters um you know maybe a guy that has ties to South Carolina and Georgia like Darrell Sims did but we'll see uh going forward again if I hear any names I'll let you know but I'm not going to try and speculate otherwise um because honestly Mike Houston doesn't the only spread runabouts coach he had was Darrell Sims since moving to James Madison so we'll see what direction he tries to go in uh number two how is winter conditioning going i mean we don't get access to winter conditioning i can tell you it's not very fun they're out there at like 4:30 or 5 a.m going through those workouts before the sun even comes up before they start classes and uh you know big john's got them working i've heard it's gone well i mean outside of that i don't have many details outside of the social media videos again i am working to set up some interviews with big John and the coaching staff in the coming weeks. But I mean, we don't have too many details other than it's going well. Mostly, you know, everybody's reported. I haven't heard of anybody being 500 pounds yet. So that's a positive. Uh, But again, we'll let you know. Uh, When is the university anticipating vaccinating all student athletes? Uh, I have not heard a date. I don't think that's at the top of the priority list right now. Jonathan, have you heard anything?
2: I have not. And, yeah, that's that's a tough one.
1: Yeah, I think right now, I mean, you know, maybe at some point we get to that over the summer, but it just seems like there's been no real discussion that the student-athletes will be placed above, you know, like faculty or anything like that. So, I mean, I would assume that faculty would get it first if the university gives it out in that, that regard. I know that, you know, my dad works at the university, and um, they've been giving it to some of the people that are older in that role. So I, I assume that that will continue to be the plan. And then student-athletes, as young as they are, as fit as they are, probably a, a ways down the, the totem pole. Um, All right, ECU Pirates backwards. He's got a good, fairly good question. Um, three coaches have been let go on defense during Mike Houston's tenure. Uh, speaking of Byron Thweet, Bob Trot, and Jeff Hansen. Brandon Lynch also took a job with the Cleveland Browns. He says zero have been let go on offense. What are your thoughts on that, if you have any? Um I'll go first, Jonathan, I'll let you weigh in. I mean, my thing is the offense has been better than the defense statistically by a pretty wide margin. I know they haven't been consistent as some like, but the other thing too is defensively, Mike Houston is a defensive coach. He has very high standards for that side of the ball. And he knows probably more about defense than offense based on his background. So I think he feels more comfortable. If they're not playing well at a defensive position, he knows that this is what I want. Our coaching staff is not allowing us to perform to this level on defense. So he, he makes a change. I think that's the, the main the main reason uh, based on, you know, what I've seen and heard.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Like you said, the offense has statistically been better than the defense has. Um especially last year and you think I mean just talking about this year alone Blake Carroll did a great job his staff did and I mean you come in on offense I know a lot of people have been calling for some changes on offense but to me last year's struggles have everything to do with a lack of an off-season program and I think things are going to be a lot better than people might expect next year.
1: Yeah, I think if the offense continues to be inconsistent for a third straight year, you might see some changes on that side of the ball. But look at the defensive changes that he's made thus far. They, have you know, small sample size, sir, sure, but they've worked out. You know, Blake Harrell defense was a major upgrade over Bob Trout's defense. Uh, you know, the safety play and the cornerback play, I thought, took a step up under Trip Weaver and Steve Ellis compared to the year before. Roy Tesh moving to defensive tackles coach. I thought made a big difference um, compared to the defensive line play under under Hanson at times and granted that you know they never had much depth but I just thought we saw them take a a big leap in those areas so I I trust Mike Houston he knows he knows especially defensive philosophy what he needs for this this group to be successful all right next question chess pirate he asks obviously the short-term prognosis for basketball and our spring sports must be to expect continued uncertainty at best and chaotic disruption at worst. Assuming we retain our sanity by this summer, what is being talked about and foreseen as far as football having a normal summer, summer having a normal fall camp, and being able to complete compete as scheduled with no attendance restrictions? Um, so, I mean, I think all that, again, it's being talked about, You know, Ron Robinson, the associate AD, said on Pirate Radio yesterday that the plan is by mid to late February to go forward with the season ticket sales for football and to act as if things will be back to normal, sell full season ticket packages and roll forward from there. But they can do that and they can have a plan for that and they probably as of right now have a plan for after spring ball. Um, the players will obviously go home for a little bit for the summer and then they will return, uh, for preseason camp after a certain amount of time. And then the plan is to have a normal fall camp beginning in probably early August or late July. So, I mean, that's the plan is to go forward as normal, but we don't know probably until April, May, how it's really going to look. You know, they did push spring practice back as far as possible. They pushed it back to late March, uh, which will go into late April, just before the semester ends, I believe. But, And that was done so that they hope things are close to back to normal then. But, I mean, with the way things are tracking, who knows? I mean, it's just, again, it's so up in the air. I would love to be able to sit here and say that attendance will be back to normal for the season opener, but we just don't know right now, Jonathan.
2: Yeah, I don't know. You don't know. Ryan Robinson doesn't know. Nobody knows, and it it sucks, but I mean personally i don't I think there's probably a very slim shot we're back at hundred percent capacity, <clears throat> but I don't know it's it's just tough. I hope we're back to normal, and we at least get a fall camp in. that's normal, but <clears throat> wow,
1: well. you're getting choked up, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Had a little voice crack there. You really
1: want it back to normal. You're getting a little emotional.
2: Man, it's been a tough year. <laughs> I've had a rough four years at ECU. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been ideal these last yeah. years. Not at all. But, hey, things are looking up. And, yeah, hopefully we have some sense of normalcy by next year. But, realistically, nobody has any clue what's going to happen next week, let alone in August.
1: All right, let's transition to basketball. we got a basketball question here. We just talked to Joe Dooley via Zoom. Jonathan, uh, we learned we, – we already knew that he wasn't going to coach uh, on Sunday against Memphis, 4 p.m. tip-off. Uh, we learned that ECU will have at least a couple players out. He did not go into detail about who they would be. From what I've heard, I don't think there's going to be anybody super significant out unless something changes, but we'll see. Um Again, the Pirates have not played a basketball game since January 9th, I believe, against South Florida. Yeah. Yep, so it has been a Mm -hmm. long time, and it feels like it's been even longer than that. They have played just three games since December 22nd. Or they played two games since December 22nd. The Tulane game was the third game. So that's three games in uh, more than a month. That's a lot of uh, days without basketball, a lot of days without practice. Uh, Before we get to the question, Jonathan... Speaking of things we don't really know what to expect, what do you expect going into Sunday's game?
2: I'll I'll put it this way. I have zero expectations as far as a result or how good they're going to look. But I think it's going to be a really rusty start. I think conditioning-wise – it's going to be tough to run up and down that court because there's a big difference between doing it in practice and especially doing it in practice after a week, week week-and-a-half layoff and then jumping right into a game, playing Sunday and then Wednesday and then Saturday. Duly mentioned that. It's going to be really tough. So, yeah, I I have no expectations. Um, I'm just going to watch, and we're going to see how it goes.
1: Yeah, Memphis – one of the tougher matchups in the league just from their athleticism and length standpoint they they have the most raw talent for sure I mean they recruit at a different level than everybody else in the American and for whatever reason Penny Hardaway has not been able to get them to play together I mean they have been very inconsistent and so to me this is a winnable game will Memphis be favored yes should ECU expect to win Probably not, but, I mean, the players should expect to win. They should go out there and expect to win. But the fans, I mean, I don't know if you can say this is a game you should win. It's definitely a game you hope to compete in. Uh, Memphis, really, really good defensively. Like, all that length and athleticism, that creates some havoc. I saw Wichita went 2 for 23 from three-point range last night. Uh, Memphis beat Wichita State, which has had a good season, 72 to 52. So, you know, the weird thing about Memphis is I feel like over the years – they are extremely inconsistent. So I almost feel like it's a good thing they played really well on Thursday. And I feel like they, they have so much talent, raw ability. They might be rolling to ECU thinking, man, we're playing ECU. They haven't played in so long. You know, we, we should roll out, roll the ball out here and just, and just roll. And I could see Penny, Penny Hardaway maybe having a little bit of that attitude. So I expect a hard fought game on Sunday. Uh, I really worry about ECU's offense, though. So I think this is going to be a lower-scoring game. I don't know how you have any offensive rhythm in the first place, and then you compare that or, or add to that that you're playing Memphis, which is one of the lengthier, more athletic teams in the league. And ECU might not top 60 points or 55 points on, on Sunday.
2: And it's tough, too, because we still don't 100% know who will be suiting up for us, so... Luckily Dooley sounds like Noah Farrakhan would be back from his groin injury on Sunday. So that'll be a nice boost, but beyond that, we we really don't know. Yeah. So yeah,
1: Tristan Newton should be back. I mean, he's we we you know so. we know that he tested positive in December. It's now <clears throat> January 22nd, and he was he was on the court for the January 9th game. He was still going to, through the return to play protocol, but all indications were at that time that he would be back for the next game. So if he's not back, I'm worried. But I think he'll be back. No affair, kind of like you said. Dooley said that he's been able to do some stuff. He should be back from his groin injury, assuming he doesn't have COVID. Um, so we'll see. You could go from having no point guards to all point guards and no big men or something like that. I mean, who knows? We'll find out when probably they come out for warm ups around 3 o'clock. On Sunday for the 4 p.m. tip. Speaking of this game, ECU Pirate fans 1718 asked Memphis looked really good last night versus a good Wichita State team. Hopefully, the Memphis team that had just lost to Tulsa shows up. Would you anticipate more zone on Sunday rather than man to counter the height slash athleticism of Memphis and ECU's lack of game conditioning over the past month? Really good question. One of the things I noticed when I was looking at Memphis is they only shoot about 30 percent from three point range as a team going into last night and of course last night i think they hit like 11 of 18 or something like that they were red hot from three which is why they rolled offensively but if it's me i'm making them prove that they're going to be able to shoot the ball from outside on the road where you have different sight lines and uh, they've struggled offensively on the road. So that's some of the things that I would do. I would play zone, you know, I would probably come out man, but go some zone depending on how the game goes, because I don't think you can match up with Memphis man for man uh, across the board.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I would, I would roll out with zone. And if not for anything else for that conditioning, I think it's going to be a little easier to preserve the player's, um energy playing zone and especially if you're playing defense a lot and it's one of those low possession games and you really need to give it all on defensive end every possession but that's what i would do and and just to backtrack i think we're safe with the Noah affair not having covid because i've seen him on his instagram story all in the team facilities so i think we're good there that's good
1: that's a good sign i've (laughs) seen I've seen some players post uh, their whereabouts in different cities during the, the <laughs> midst of game week. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? Not this week, but in past <laughs> weeks. And um, yeah, that's a. I mean, I, we could do a podcast on Noah Farrakhan's Instagram on itself. Because <laughs> apparently he's some sort of stockbroker now, by the way, um, or something. Something else every week. Yep. Uh, interesting follow, Noah Farrakhan. Also a good basketball player when healthy all right a couple more questions here baseball related so this will be a good way to wrap up Jonathan um by the way we got baseball media day Monday morning and so maybe we'll have a podcast with reactions from baseball media day We'll see but uh, we'll have some baseball content coming we got a, we got a massive a massive might be a little too strong we've got a uh, we've got an expansive detailed season preview plan, Jonathan, that we're going to tag team where we dive into each positions and some of the key players, all that sort of stuff. So I know you're a big baseball nut like myself. Uh, can't can't wait for baseball season. Uh,
2: to say I am ready for baseball does not even begin to really cover how ready I really am for baseball. I spent all yesterday just putting on a little Excel document just the roster numerical order just to help me with no jersey numbers with some of the new guys and then just like a positional little preview i i do that every year but i went a little overboard this year and man i'm ready especially after being cut short last year
1: yeah that's the thing it's been it's been so long since we've seen him play it's but the other thing too is ecu's been able to practice more than ever because of that so i think cliff goblin feels really good about his team as a result of that they know what they have for the most part because they were able to get they were able to get some game reps and practice so much so all right the other news coming from baseball is that the start of the season will be closed to the public as expected probably Uh, only two family members from each player will be allowed to attend the first few games and some media people uh, up in the press box even though i've heard that will be extremely limited so Based on that, we had a question about the TV coverage for the games because, of course, if the fans can't go in person, they're going to want to be able to watch it. Uh, Pirates RS asks, what can you tell us about ECU baseball being broadcast on ESPN+, Plus, play-by-play person, multiple angles rather than basically just like one before? Um, I do – so uh, the majority of the games will be – baseball will be on espn plus and ryan robinson said yesterday i believe and somebody can correct me if i'm wrong that the games that aren't on espn plus will be on the ecu feed like last year so it sounds like every game will be streamed either plus or the ecu online website so you should be able to watch every game uh play by play person i do not expect it to be um cory glore i mean i expect cory glore to do the radio broadcast like usual I should say. I don't want to start a rumor that Corey Glores let go from radio broadcast. I'm saying for the TV, they're gonna if they're doing an ESPN Plus broadcast, I believe they have to bring in somebody different for the TV broadcast. I don't know who that would be. Uh, again, Corey will still be on the call for radio. And for the games that are streamed online on ecupirates.com, those should just have the radio feed dubbed over them. There was some discussion from ECU that they're trying to maybe get the radio feed dubbed over the tv copy for an espn plus broadcast but i have not heard if they're going to be allowed to do that or not so that seems to still be a fluid thing i'll try and get some clarification on that Uh, multiple angles rather than basically just like one um again i'm not 100 percent sure on that i believe it'll be multiple angles wasn't even the online broadcast last year i want to say was multiple angles
2: I believe it was.
1: Yeah, I think they tra- I think they transitioned to multiple angles last year to get ready for the ESPN Plus. So there should be multiple angles for the ESPN Plus broadcasts. Um, otherwise, they're going backwards in production, which wouldn't make much sense. Um, so that's the details we have right now. Uh, again, just expect you should be able to watch every ECU home game. Now the road games. I mean, hell if I know that. If I don't know if Georgia Southern is going to be broadcasting their games. You know, we know NC State and North Carolina will. Don't know about UNCW. Even the conference schools, I've heard, you know, the the conference schools are only required to broadcast a certain amount of non-football and men's basketball events. And so, like, a Houston, a South Florida, I don't know at this time if they're going to actually broadcast baseball. It just depends kind of on how things go. All right. Final question from Riceville Pirate 85 and this is a good one to end on because it allows us to kind of dive into the baseball roster a little bit. Can you discuss some of the new baseball players that we may not be as familiar with and what they bring to the table? And I need to pull up the roster. I don't know if you have it up, Jonathan.
2: I've got my little Excel document right here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you have your own you have your own roster. Um oh, yeah. And, you know, I've heard a lot about a number of these guys. Uh, Jonathan, if you want to start us off, anything you've heard on maybe some young guys, whether they be returning freshmen we didn't see a lot last year or just true freshmen in general?
2: Yeah, I was going to mention a couple of the guys who were newcomers last year that we didn't get to see a lot. I think one of them, or a couple of them, just bullpen guys, guys like A.J. Bradley, A.J. Wilson, Bradley Wilson. Um, let's see. Like a. Dylan Lawson, just some of those younger arms, I think, obviously didn't get a lot of work. I think out of those guys, the high, the most innings pitched out of them was probably five, four. But I think they look solid, and I think it, it it was tough for them last year. We obviously didn't get to look at them a lot. And then you think guys like Carson Wisenhunt, Skylar Brooks, they're still freshmen. Well, they were freshmen last year. And – I'm really excited to see Skylar Brooks. I'm a big Skylar Brooks fan. I think he's going to be valuable to the team on the mound. I think he's going to be valuable in the field. I mean, he hit, he only had 11 at bats last year, but he hit 4.55. So, guys like that, and then some of the freshmen, again, some of the arms, just a Landon Ginn, a Danny Beal, guys, guys like that. I think looking at it, I think this is one of the deepest teams we've ever had if not ever so i'm really excited i think there's a lot of guys who could step up in a big way
1: yeah a ton of young talent a ton of proven talent that's usually when you get your best competition um you know some of the true freshmen josh moylan who's gonna wear number 66 which is really awkward to me (laughs) but uh big powerful first baseman heard he started the fall really hot and then kind of uh you know, not faded, but definitely got challenged a little more as the fall went on. You know, it's, he's a freshman, learning how to hit, probably the best pitch in ECU's ever had. So, um, so Josh Moylan, I expect to be in the, the rotation at first base. From what I've heard, first base is going to be Josh Moylan and Skylar Brooks. And then Thomas Francisco is likely to play more left field than first base. And he played a lot of left field in the fall. Did well. He slimmed down some, got a little more athletic. So I expect Josh Mullen and Skyler Brooks, two physical big bats, to get a lot of time there. Brooks will help on the mound as well. They've worked on his arm. And he could play third, but they want to stick him at first to, to save his arm uh, in case he has to pitch. Uh, another freshman I've heard a lot about, Josh Groh's uh, kid out of um, – he, he bounced around, I think he was in a military family, spent some time in Jacksonville, North Carolina, wrapped up in Virginia Beach. Uh, he's added 20 pounds of muscle since he got to ecu he's probably got the highest upside of all the young arms consistently 93 94 touches 95 just big time stuff big time stuff and you know he is raw he's got to learn pitch refinement that sort of stuff but he's a big time arm Six four, right hander comes right at you so um, really high on, on grows. Like you said, Danny Beal, I've heard, really good command guy. Comes right after you. Landon Gins missed some time with an injury, but has a chance to really uh, be good. He, he, he's he got some good stuff. Uh, throws in the low 90s. You, know, so you mentioned A.J. Wilson. From what I've heard, he took probably the biggest leap of anybody on the mound this fall. And if you follow baseball recruiting at all, A.J. Wilson was a top 150 national recruit. Uh, coming out of high school and he simply couldn't command his fastball last year but his stuff is, is big time and so in the fall he got his fastball command under control and his slider is filthy so he's a guy lefty that I look to have a big role out of the bullpen this year and so those are some young guys I mean there's a lot more as well but those are some names we really haven't heard a lot about Jonathan that I think will make an impact the problem is how do you get all these guys work? And I know that they have some four game series, but they're gonna to have to find a way to work in all these guys on top of Gavin Williams, Cooch Maynard, Smith, Mayhew, you know, Carter Spivey. You mentioned Wizen Hunt, uh, Tristan Kimmel, who pitched a lot last year. Garrett Saylor, we haven't even talked about. Uh, I mean, there's just so many arms.
2: And I think, like you said, this year with the four game conference weekends, it's gonna be really important. I have no idea how that's going to work, whether they're going to, you know, roll with four true starters and roll that way or if they're going to have their top three and then go with a bullpen day as they did in the midweek games last year with a Tristan Kimmel-type guy starting. But I don't know. I think it's early season is really going to be important. They're going to really need to kind of cycle through all these guys and figure out who's ready to contribute now and who maybe needs a little more work before they're pressed in the conference play action. So I think the early portion of the season this year is even more important just since we do have that much depth just to find out who you can really rely on right away.
1: ECU Baseball will open practice, I believe, January 29th. Uh, that sounds right. Yes. Yes, yes. so January yeah. 29th, they'll have their first intra-squad scrimmages, and we'll know a lot more then. Again, media day Monday. We'll have content from that. Men's basketball, Sunday, we'll have content from that. I'll tell you what, if ECU beats Memphis on Sunday, I will have a post-game podcast recapping that single game. If uh, if not, we'll probably delay the podcast till Monday to recap Baseball Media Day and talk some hoops. I've also heard men, or, uh, men's football. I've also heard football is close to uh, getting a potential commitment from the transfer portal, so we'll keep you updated there. So a lot coming your way on hoist the colors. That'll do it for our podcast. Again, thanks for uh, to everybody for all the questions, Jonathan. Appreciate you taking some time to uh, to to talk some some baseball and some basketball and, and AD stuff as well. And uh, we'll get you back on the program, I'm sure, shortly.
2: Yeah, man, sounds good. Getting ready to gear up towards busy season. Hopefully.
1: Yeah, we we need some stuff to cover. No more positive COVID tests, please. Although I know <laughs> that it's probably not likely to happen, but. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back shortly in a few days. Until then, thanks for listening to the Hoisty Colors podcast.